shit, shit, shit show. It's a fucking shit show. All right, y'all. Welcome back to Shit Show Saturday. Shit Show Shower. Can you say that three times fast? I don't think no. you can. <laughs> <laughs> we we have Shit Show Jessica. Welcome. Huh? Mm-hmm. Are you Just freezing your ass show. off? No, not at all. It was 50 degrees on Christmas. Wow. Okay. Song. Oh, Rise Up by Andra Day. I don't know if I know that. Do I? Oh, I think you'll love it if you listen to it. And it's because the lyrics are all about what it is to rise up together as community Mm -hmm. and support one another. And for me, that's just really kind of how I embody. Like I, this life is a tough one. You know what I mean? And it has ups and downs. And again and again, it's not about how often you hit another bottom or rebound or whatever. It's about being willing to rise up again and be willing to reach out to somebody else or to grab a hand that's reaching for you. Yeah, it's like that reading we did last night. Okay, carbohydrate. Oh, potatoes. I've grown to really love potatoes lately. One way. What do you want? Home fries. Like, you know, when you chop Mm, them up in a skillet mm -hmm. with whatever and spice. Okay, cheese. I have more than one. Day to day, you'll always please me with a sharp cheddar, but... I have such a space in my heart for um, Humboldt Fog, that Cypress Grove. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's like a California thing. Maybe I can get it out here. I haven't tried. And the most important question, condiment. You're going to say hot sauce. Well, there's ketchup that's yes. got to be in there. All different types of mustard. And Cholula Chipotle is in there. Shirasha is in there. Shirasha mayo. Occasionally Tia Mia. What's your ketchup brand? Heinz. Okay, good. Just making mm-hmm. sure. Okay. Yeah, and, and mayonnaise is is best foods, but here they call it Hellman's. Hellman's. Okay, the whole world calls it Hellman's, and California calls it best foods. Oh, okay. So I've been backwards. Well, that makes sense. I've been backwards most of my life. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so you are, how long have you been sober? Um, let's see, March 5th, 2013. <laughs> It's when you start referring just to the date. So it'll be 11 years in March. Was that your first time like really trying to get sober? Yes. First time going to AA. So before we get into all that, when did you realize that you were an adult child? And would you say you had a bottom? I knew I was set up from the jump. My grandmother on my mom's side grabbed my arm one night as she was having a fight with my mom. And grabbed my arm and said, your mother's an alcoholic and you should be going to Alateen because she was mm. the textbook Al-Anon, right? And being parentified, my sister was 16, I was 12, but my sister had just gotten her license. And so we drove back uh, to San Francisco from Sacramento on our own. And my wow. mom was going to meet up with us later, but didn't come home. And I was doing my homework to get the straight A's to move on along, right? And my mom's friend called and she's like, where's your mom? I'm like, I don't know. She's not here. I mean, it's getting late. She's not back yet. And it turned out my mom had gotten, uh, she didn't get hit, thank God. But she had gotten the car hit by a train outside of Davis. Where was she? She wasn't in the car. She was not. She, uh, 
she had a wonderful blowout with her mom and was driving back to San Francisco and pulled off the road in Davis because she kind of, as she had said, kind of realized it wasn't a good idea to be driving Mm. and pulled off the road and was going over the tracks. And this was back in the late eighties. And back Mm -hmm. then the tracks were still very rural. So her little Mazda, (laughs) great little car (laughs) got stuck on the tracks low clearance and she got stuck and she was trying to go backwards and forwards and was getting really frustrated and saw a light and kind of fugitive jumped out of the car down the embankment and saw the car get hit when did you eventually hear from her it was um about an hour after that she was at that big bear restaurant yeah yeah, i know yeah Mm -hmm. when was the first time you heard the term adult child it was when i was in recovery and also working on a master's of divinity in yoga studies. And it was used in a very, I felt like a derogatory manner mm-hmm. that kind of turned my stomach. And also I was in Al-Anon for quite some time and they said, we have an adult child focus. So Al-Anon was much easier to find. So I made a point mm-hmm. of doing Al-Anon with an adult child focus Mm. before I got married because I knew like oh Uh my gosh I know that this could go real wrong if I you know try and do this the way my parents did (laughs) so I was 20 that was well before I was sober it was well before my disease really progressed it was I was 24. And so then when was it in this stint of sobriety that you were like oh actually this is the program that I need oh my gosh um about three years in Mm -hmm. and then I would say I knew I'd heard years five to seven tend to be Mm -hmm. when people get to be a little rough around the edges and year seven to nine is when you hit another bottom and it was like clockwork no shit I was like, okay, I'll be on the lookout for that. Thanks. And then I was like, oh my gosh, it was, um, uh, I started listening to adult child, the book, audiobook, while walking and hiking. And I could relate to the stories, but not so much the laundry list because I was still mm. up my butt in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. but during COVID during, um, all that the stuff related to COVID, I was helping um, my spiritual community with some diversity stuff. And for them, it was like, it felt to me like a one and done. And for me being Mm. biracial, I just had Mm -hmm. all of this just stuff just come up and flood me. And I just wanted to run away from them and cut them off. But I I'd worked with them for so long and how dare they and what's wrong with me and why do I keep putting myself in these situations where people just take advantage of me and oh mm. yuck and then I looked at the laundry list again and started listening to your podcast mm-hmm. did you get sober in San Francisco were you living in San Francisco uh San Jose okay okay I was gonna say I wondered if we went to the same meetings but you were down there um <laughs> do you remember how you found the podcast I think I was flipping through TikTok. Mm, there she blew. And I was like, okay, I'll check this out. And then I started listening and I was like, oh shit, 
<laughs> That's me. Mm-hmm. But what I will say that really sets apart the Shit Show community and podcast and adult child podcast from my experience of ACOA meetings is the grit and the resiliency. Mm. I find it difficult to attend ACOA meetings because I just feel like people are like, well, and the nodding and the non-interrupting. Meanwhile, I really, and it's the same thing with with AA. Like if I go to an AA meeting and people are just like, yes, and I will never get better and life just kind of sucks. Like, no, my AA group in San Jose, um, oh my gosh, we would laugh at each other and there was swearing and there was nicknames and poop talk. And so when I found your group, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) Mm. yeah, it's a lot of doom and gloom, unfortunately, in a lot of ACA meetings. Yeah. And, um, and I'm much more like the song I said, I'm much more about that. Okay. Now let's rise up. Let's, you know what I mean? We're, we're not here to be miserable. Let's no. take this poop and make some compost and fertilizer and grow some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we need to know about childhood? Goodness. So I remember at age four being like, there's something different about my family. Mm-hmm. And um, there's something different about my mom and dad. And this is not to shame them, blame them, because when I think about it, where psychology was, where help was, where our culture was in the late 70s, they were right on track. They were doing exactly what all the other parents were doing back then. (laughs) So I was a feral kid. I was out wandering the streets or riding my big wheel. (laughs) And we were in San Rafael at the time. So then we moved, my dad got a job. We moved to Walnut Creek. Um, and that was where a lot of stuff hit the fan. And the marriage broke up. I was seven at the time. And I have an older sister who is like almost four years older than me. And so she was in sixth grade at the time. And I was in second grade at the time. I'm trying not to get too tangential here. Marriage broke up. My mom ended up being hospitalized. So you could say she had a breakdown and she was drinking a lot. And it was when I was six years old, I remember coming home and my sister running around and running around and something's wrong with mom. Mom is sick. Mom is sick. And Mm. we ended up caring for mom. And that Mm. happened off and on for quite a while. And dad was Um, out of the house at that point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Dad, dad was out of the house. Um, and it happens to so many women. I think about, you know, where the marriage breaks up, the guy is heartbroken, but moves on and finds the next, the next wife. Right. And then the mom is raising the kids and, um, my mom is a deeply complex individual. She has been diagnosed as bipolar, but the time I was seven till I was about 12, there were multiple hospital stays. And one of those started with a horrendous um, dinner 
where she had invited my dad over and I had, I was nine and I had a dentist appointment the next day. So I was going to stay at my mom's house and she was going to take me to the dentist. And then I was going to go see my dad later, but he had a feeling my mom wasn't doing well. And so he told me, you call me if it gets too weird. And I was like, I'll be fine, dad. I'll be fine. I wasn't fine. And I called him and he had to drive down from, he was living in Fairfax at that point, drove down I remember sitting in the front of the flat, you know, those long flats in the Richmond district. I remember in the living room and looking down the hallway. And I remember um, them having a physical altercation as he was on the phone, trying to get help for her and getting me into the car and driving away. And the silence in the car, um, just saying, you know, your mom loves you. And what's wild about it was the next day when he needed to take me to the dentist, I felt like such a burden. I had completely messed up his day because he was going out of his way to help me and get me to the dentist and then had to take me back to summer camp and then go back to work that I was ruining his day. You know, like, oh, craziness. So there's a lot of moments like that in my childhood. Um, there was a summer I barely remember of staying with my aunt down in, um, oh, not Antelope Valley, Oh, it's where the space shuttle lands. Lancaster, Lancaster, Palmdale area. And uh, there was some weeks at my uncle's house in Sacramento, weeks with my grandparents. Just, I got really good at packing at, mm. for like, oh, you're going for a week. Okay. And just not really being aware. Would your sister come with you in those times? Yeah. And do you remember having conversations with her about what was going on? Oh, it was really tricky because she was closer to the flame than I was. And as such, she, she is now also diagnosed um, bipolar. And she actually has a very close relationship with my mom, which I do not. Um, would we talk about it? Yeah. In the sense of like, oh my gosh, so-and-so's, it was more of like a tactical, like, okay, so-and-so's trashed, so we're going to need to do this, that. Or so-and-so's drunk, so how about we go here? Mm -hmm. We were full grown. Mm -hmm. We were full grown. Mm -hmm. When your grandmother, did she start going to Al-Anon? Like, I know you said she was the classic Al-Anon. Did she start going? She did. She did. Um, by then, okay. So by then, my youngest, so my mom was the oldest of five. And when the youngest brother um, of her siblings ended up in a DUI, and she remembered that night, she joined Al-Anon. For her, that was her rock bottom. Was, you know, realizing the extent to which her youngest son was in the disease. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember when you, when you were aware that it was alcoholism, like around the same age as well, or? Oh no, I knew long before that. Um, mm -hmm. th there were a lot of embarrassing moments, definitely by middle school. So sixth grade was aware of it. Mm -hmm. And by the time my sister was four years ahead of me in school, I mean, I remember just seething with anger in my bedroom and wanting to go. My mom was a remarkable writer. She has run a, won awards for short stories. So she was kind of like that Hemingway type, br brilliant, mm -hmm. brilliant, creative. And 
um, she would, I, get, I, I still get triggered by the sound of a typewriter if it's late at night. <laughs> she had that brother typewriter and she would get really trashed and inspired and write these incredible stories. And I remember hearing that typewriter late at night and trying to sleep and then she'd be blasting music and I'd want to just be so angry because I just needed to sleep because I had school in the morning, you know, and we were packing our own lunches from the time I was in kindergarten. <laughs> so it wasn't that it was more like, I just need to sleep. Can you just let me sleep? So that was around eight or nine years old. She actually got sober when I was 15, when my sister left for college and it was just me at home with her. Oh, it was on. I was not having it. I was like, you're gonna, if you, if alcohol passes your lips, you are not to communicate with me. And I just locked myself in my room and we basically became very um, grumpy roommates. What was your experience of being biracial and how did that impact your childhood? Oh, my word. It's one of those things that, um, you know, my, my father remarried a, a white woman as well. He lives in northern Marin County. Um, he, he, we don't, when we talk about blackness, it just seems like he kind of divorced from it himself in a lot of mm. ways. Um, growing up, it was one of those other things that made me feel like I was different. Mm -hmm. Did I, looking back on it, do I feel I faced racism? Absolutely. At the time, did I know I was facing racism? No, I thought there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I thought that if I behaved better, if I achieved better, mm -hmm. if I, um, wore nicer clothes, if I, you know, then I wouldn't be treated differently. So yeah. And there was, I would say that through my life, I have actually had equal friction from both sides, but there's actually a joke in uh, black communities about California and the Pacific Northwest where the racism is so covert. You don't even know you're, you're dealing with it until you're already choking being hung by the tree. Cause it's just, there's a coldness. Like it's the ultimate, uh, don't talk, don't tell, don't feel. Mm. But in the time that I was growing up and part of the reason why we moved out of California was because, um, it had been brought to my attention that the entire Bay area was only 6% black. And that included Oakland. And I was like, wait, what? Like, when did this happen? I was so busy raising my own children. And I married mm. someone who's also biracial, but from Chicago. Um, so our children are like all different colors. You never know when you shake up those genetics <laughs> and pop out a kid, what they will look like. But um, the amount of people of color has just dropped in the Bay Area. And once it was one of those things that once I became aware of it, I couldn't not see it, but I am much, I was, they, they've just passed on. My grandmother passed on in February and was a big push for me, both joining this community as well as leaving California. She was my final tether and she, um, she was my rock. You know, they, mm -hmm. they say, what were your buffering in your podcast, the buffering mm -hmm. occasions in your life growing up? She and my grandfather were absolutely those buffers for me, 100%. They saw me 
They loved me. They were always there. They were always happy to receive me. We just clicked on every level. I could tell them anything and did. This is your your mother's parents. No, it was my father's dad. Father and mm. Yeah. They were down in Los Angeles. My mom's family was in Sacramento. So yeah, California, multiple generations. Okay. So then tell me about when you start discovered drugs and alcohol and what that experience was like. <laughs> uh, well, there was always beer around parties when I was growing up and, and there was, my dad would grow pot in the backyard. So there was always pot. There were, there were pipes next to the spoons in the kitchen and there were bongs next to the mugs in the cupboard. So it was just always there, but I negatively associated beer. I still do. Like even with most of my drunk, I, I was liquor and wine. I was never much of a beer person. So typical first real bad drunk. I was in, I was 15, 14, 14. I was 14 years old and typical night in San Francisco, went out with a bunch of friends to another house, to a party, started drinking started mixing, drinking, ended up being that pathetic creature in the bathroom who doesn't care <laughs> if you step over her to pee in the toilet. She just can't be moved because the room is spinning and the, the floor of this disgusting stranger's bathroom is cool and soothing compared to trying to sit up or stand or move. They called a couple different taxis that gave up because they could not get me out of the bathroom to get into the taxi. They talked someone into driving us home and the woman to this day, don't know who it was, don't know what car I was in, don't know how I remember bits of it. I do remember promising I wasn't going to puke in her car. And of course I puked in her car. And she was like, God damn it, you said you wouldn't puke in my car. Getting home, getting my friends getting me to my bed, taking my pants off because they were covered in vomit. The mm. next morning, my mom peeks her head in my room. And she's like, why does it smell like beer and vomit in here? And then picking up my pants and then saying, did you throw up? And then looking at me and being like, oh my gosh. Well, that night she got drunk, grabbed me by my shirt, exhaled on my face. And I had to run to the bathroom to throw up again. And she was mm. like, you deserve it. This is totally mm. on you. You know, do as I say, don't do as I do kind of a thing. And, and so I didn't really drink again until I got to college. But I got mm -hmm. high a lot because, you know, that was okay. <laughs> of course. Of course, right? Yeah, super duper high achieving. Um, did great in school, did great in my extracurriculars. I was also a swimmer. 100 back. And, um, and I don't know, man, swimmers party. <laughs> um, and then got off to college, but I remember, God, I had so much energy doing four mm -hmm. APs my senior year and going over to the East Bay and hanging out at Edible Complex in Oakland and hanging out with a friend of mine who decided to leave high school to become a drug dealer, to make a bunch of money, to pay for college. And he did, by the way, which blows my mind, but hanging out in his apartment and going to get something and opening a drawer and just seeing loads of pot and shrooms mm. and pills and just being so worried for him, mm. but also kind of glad because, hey, at least we wouldn't have to go and find the dealer because I was hanging out with mm -hmm. him. But then I went to school in Ohio, so illegal substances were a little, a little harder to yeah. come by. 
And that's when I learned to drink. And it really was the perfect substitute to give me that chaos and to let me sleep. What I did while drunk was a chaos. And yet I could sleep better once I was drunk. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And I know that it was motherhood that amped things up from you for from a drinking perspective. But prior to that, like, how would you say that your, you know, your childhood was impacting negatively impacting your life as an adult oh my god (laughs) it was it was everything it was literally everything like it was so textbook um drugs and alcohol early crazy overachiever highly independent perfectionistic parentified uh therapist to all of my friends no boundaries Mm. early uh, sexual activity Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, like (laughs) I, I checked pretty much all of the boxes, major fawn response to conflict, fear of angry people. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I was one of these people, I'm 49 where I was actually in my forties talking with, um, a director of sorts, like a spiritual direction. And she was the one to inform me that I had been sexually abused. I like, oh wait, that, that was abuse. Like, wait, what? Yeah. When was that? Uh, I was in my forties. So that was probably wow. like what? 2014, 2015. I was sober, which is probably why I heard it. And then talk about what led to you getting sober. What it really was, um, You know, people say, you know, you catch yourself being like your parents. When I became a mother, literally my son was a few weeks old and it was one of my first ACA rock bottoms. I actually went to a therapist and she kind of poo-pooed me because she was really looking for postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And later the ther- I saw another therapist who I was working with and she was cognitive behavioral therapy, which does mm-hmm. not mean trauma informed. If you grow up in the shit mm-hmm. and the ACE score did not exist then yep. when I was growing up, but when I found out about it and I was like, oh, what's the ACE score? And I checked all of the boxes. Mm. God, that was a kick in the head. But I remember talking to this woman saying, my mom says that when I was a kid, she would just get sick of my crying. And so she would just put me in the back room. So I would just cry it out. And I would say, mom, how old was I? And she was like, oh, you were five weeks old. It's like, what the, f- what? So that just was mm-hmm. so alien to me. But I also know that there are a lot of people who do that. Mm-hmm. I also know that I'm sensitive and it didn't work mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but as I had children and I would look at these precious, awesome, amazing creatures who, oh yeah, motherhood is challenging, no doubt. But to look at them and see where I was or what size I may have been or what my capabilities were by 
developmental phases and what I had faced and what was expected of me in those times and the punishments I received for not behaving appropriately. Um, oh, the rage, the rage. Mm. And because I couldn't express it, I internalized it and drank it down and would just show up and become that over-functioner um, out in the world. I said today in my AA meeting, like, oh my God, I remember taking three kids under the age of five to Costco with a flat to get the Costco trip done for the diapers and the this and that and how the kids would help me out and I'd give them high fives and thank them up and down while managing three kids under the age of five in a Costco. <laughs> it was a flat tire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh and how for me, it was challenging, it was trying, but I never took it out on my kids, for goodness sake. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I would drink over it mm -hmm. and resent over it and yet not develop boundaries over it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because who will be there other than your family, right? Yeah. And then it became that whole like, I'm going to stop by myself and I would like try and get string to get together days, but I was dry. And I would say just being dry is the worst. Absolutely. Oh, being around someone who is a dry drunk and it happens when I've traveled, <laughs> I like want them to get trashed because they're easier to be around. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just explaining that to somebody the other day. It's like you either treat your disease by, you know, drinking or you treat it by some sort of, you know, spiritual solution or something. But if you don't do anything, you might as well drink. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And so then what was it that really tipped it over the edge and you started going to, to meetings? Um, I started doing a little research and I, two things, I was in a prayer class and the practice was to take a prayer and learn it and just say it whenever you're thinking of it. And so I chose the prayer of St. Francis and mm. um, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not Christian, mm -hmm. but a dang good prayer is a dang good prayer. And the prayer of St. Francis is a dang good prayer. Um, and was faced with my own dishonesty in a way that shook me. And mm. also in that same space, I started researching what withdrawal symptoms from alcohol were. And for mm. so long, I had been saying that it was the reason why my hands were shaking was because of uh caffeine when in reality mm. it was withdrawal from alcohol being treated with caffeine. Um, and I noticed that my makeup wasn't covering all of the red and I was noticing I needed a better concealer and I was noticing it was taking me a lot longer to slap a face on in the morning and I had to get real. Were there discussions with your kids? Have they shared with you what their experience was like as it related to your drinking? Yeah, I um, I asked them. And as, as a mom who becomes sober 
Mm-hmm. The living amends is the rest of my life, right? So it's always an open discussion if they ever have memories about it. I'm the only one who seems to ask about it, though. <laughs> and the oldest is like, I don't really remember. The middle mm-hmm. kittle is my uh, family, ele- my family elephant. She remembers everything. And so she'll say, oh, yeah, I just I remember you drinking wine or something with with ice in it while cooking dinner. And I remember you falling asleep while watching family movies with us. I was passing out. Um, (laughs) I thought I was falling asleep, too. And then lo and behold, once I got sober, I realized I wasn't falling asleep anymore. And then went, oh, my God, that was passing out. Mm. Um, But I remember sitting down with them at a Johnny Rockets and having dinner with them because hubby was working late or out of town. We've stayed together, by the way. He's my rock. He's awesome. Um, And telling them that I wasn't going to drink anymore. And my daughter at the time was eight. And she looked at me. Mm. Oh, such a Virgo. She looks me dead in the eyes and she looks just like me. And she goes, yeah, you've said that before, mom, but Mm. okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I knew like, oh man, if you're going to have any trust, any reality based relationship with this particular human being, you got to get your act together and mm-hmm. it's been worth it. So lucky to have you as a mom. I hear all the revelations and ahas that you've, you're having, you've been having over the past several months and um, just been able to like mm-hmm. really wit- witness your growth what have been some pivotal ahas or shifts for you? It's a beautiful thing and it's a kick in the head because it's always so simple. You know, in much like with so many people I listen to in program where they say something and it sounds so simple, but you don't get it until you don't get it until you get it. Right. Yeah. Big ones were, are that a boundary is something so that I can love someone and be safe at the same time. I can love someone and be safe at the same time. And the work of understanding physically, how does safety feel in the body? All of the stuff around how things feel in the body has been a big one. Um, Some of the other ones, oh, (laughs) It really wasn't my fault. Mm. It really was not my fault that when I was a kid, no matter how clean I kept my room, my parents would have still gotten divorced and my mom would still have lost her mind. That the complexity of my parents, I feel that if I was a grown woman, I'd be friends with my mom. I wouldn't be upset by her at all, but she's my mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, the mothering could have used a little work. <laughs> Do I love her? Absolutely. Um, but I also love her from two time zones away. Yeah. And it's much easier to do so from this distance than being in her presence. Which Is she I still can... sober? Not at all. No. no, she was sober for about 10 years. My children have never known her sober. Mm. 
she did the thing where she called me up and she was in a relationship and she said, you know, I've, I've been having wine with dinner and it seems fine with me. And I think it's okay for me to have drinks now. And I, I knew at that point, I said, well, you know, mom, that is your choice. Did I know that this wasn't going to go well? Absolutely. But was I going to give her permission? No. Cause why? It wasn't my business. <laughs> when she, I was an Al-Anon at that point. So, but apparently I hear from my sister that she has added marijuana to it because if you have alcohol induced neuropathy, how do you medicate it? Do you stop drinking or do you just start smoking marijuana to handle the pain of the neuropathy? Right. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> that's one thing that's a beautiful thing about being a double winner is, you know, I have the same disease. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. Mm -hmm. So you get it. We get it. Mm -hmm. I get it, but that doesn't mean I don't get mad about it because it's my mom, mm -hmm. darn it. Mm -hmm. you know? What is your relationship like with your sister? Um, it's, we love each other very much, but we are very different people. And it's good now because we, we seem to have built a, an ability to really respect each other's differences. She is a very, she goes to a mega church. I'll just say it that way. <laughs> she say, was like, say like you mean it <laughs> yeah i'm like she goes to a mega church she's very evangelical she she is one to say well as a christian woman i mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. and at the same time we will laugh to tears with each other you know at the same time she'll call me up because she can't remember our childhood she can't remember it like it's a big blank space for her um, and that's, and I know that that's true because she's trying to protect me. Have, have you talked with her about this adult child stuff? Um, she knows I'm in recovery. So I think when I mention it, she kind of puts it into the, oh, that's in the recovery bucket. She married an alcoholic. Of course. And he's, he's dry because AA is for losers. Mm -hmm. Of course. So there's that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm such a loser. I love it. It's working. <laughs> Is your dad still alive? Yes. And do you have a relationship with him? I do. It's very careful, but mm -hmm. I can tell he's really trying. Around the time of my grandmother's death, we were pushed into a situation together because she had not completely updated her arrangements. Mm -hmm. And he was power of attorney and all these things. And this was while she was in the nursing care facility. And she had made it very clear she wanted it to be me, but the paperwork said him. And yeah, it's been challenging. We had a major breakdown. And I still agree to this to this day that um, there there's some insecurity on the part of my stepmom and that mm -hmm. the relationship became sabotaged once I became a mother, which was mm. very painful because I was very close with her mm. when they got married. Um, but once I became a mother, it, the game shifted and I was so confused. And I've come to find out that's the case for a lot of women who have step parents. Um, but I, I, I love her too from a safe distance. She's recently gone through some very challenging things and I do check up on her because I know that 
they really love each other and I don't want, like, I may not like someone, but I don't want them to be in pain either. Okay. Three things that you like about yourself. Oh, I am. Oh, my husband's about to open the door just a second. Hey, honey. We're at the very end now. Okay. I'll be right out. We've got a lunch date with some friends. Nice. Um, yeah. It's exciting being in a new place. Um, three things I like about myself. I am an intensive animal lover. Like it's ridiculous. I have too many animals that I love and care for birds. I know all the birds and squirrels. And last night we had a possum in the yard and I've got like four dogs. It's, it's crazy. Um, animals in, in nature. I just, I'm in awe of it all the time. I am very linked to that is empathy mm. and it's a double-edged sword because it's been part of what has gotten me into trouble in my life. When I have felt the pain of someone and I've listened to it and then I get scolded for listening to them and yeah, not good, but I don't, I don't want to get rid of that about myself. It's been a gift and I am gritty. Mm. I've been through a lot of crap. I've seen mm -hmm. a lot of shit. I've gotten through immense horrendous things and I am here and I am breathing and I'm grateful for the breath in my lungs. And I love meeting other people who want to get better too and figuring this stuff out together. I'm someone who mm. likes to sit in circles. I can't stand hierarchy. <laughs> and I think that that makes me a, I'm, I'm a very tribal kind of person. Gal, love it. Um, okay. Hope or dream for the future. Uh, well, this year, I don't like to go too far ahead, but this year I am learning to garden. Nice. <laughs> Got to warm up uh, for you first. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But that gives me time to plan it. Right. <laughs> I can do a deep dive and try and make it perfect the first time. No, just kidding. Just really the simple, a simpler life. A simpler life. Well, you're such an asset to the community. Your honesty, your willingness. Thank it's you. just, you sh it's your authenticity. It's been amazing seeing you grow. Um, your dedication to the work is like really, really obvious. And um, yeah, you're just a beautiful example of what happens when we are willing to do the work to change. So when we unabashedly don the label of shit show, mm -hmm. like I am happily a shit show. The water is fine over here. If you're listening and you are not sure or you're scared of identifying, the water is great over here. <laughs> yeah, dip a damn toe in, folks. Let it